opening the door of liberation to you. And if you really want to achieve that lofty goal, then you have to hold hands with the sister science of yoga, which it's called now as Ayurveda. Ignite your best life. Yoga is the spark. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Yoga Hacks podcast, where we take yoga off the mat and into our daily life. Now, those of you that are members of Uplifted, my membership community, you know that I had a really, oh my goodness, I had this Ayurvedic consult that really changed the way I look at my yoga practice and my diet and in some ways my life. So I'm gonna tell you all about that consult. But what's really exciting is that in this podcast, I actually have the amazing lovely woman who did the consult on the air with me. Her name is Akshata Shilvant. Akshata, say hello to the listeners. Hello, everyone. Hi, Brett. It's so nice to be with you. So Akshata, tell us a little bit about your background, just for folks who don't know you, how you came to love Ayurveda. I know you you cured your own hyperthyroidism um, with Ayurveda. I know you really helped your father uh, during his his final years with Ayurveda. Can you just tell everyone a little bit about where you learned the science of Ayurveda and and yeah, just how it's profoundly impacted your life? Sure. <clears throat> it's an interesting story. People assume that being born in India and raised in India, you automatically um, have a reverence for Ayurveda and yoga. At least in my case, it's not been true. Um, I was brought up by my dad, who was an engineer, a very logical brain. Um, we lived in a bigger city. And especially in India, in urban cities, um, educated families didn't have much respect for Ayurveda. It was considered to be uh, something for rural village folk who could not afford mainstream medical. Um, so I think, you know, when you look down upon things in life, mysteriously, the universe makes you come face to face with it, to embrace it and respect it. My dad um, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. It was pretty advanced in span of like maybe three weeks. He couldn't sit on the sofa. He couldn't uh, lie down. All his joints were so swollen and my mother had to bathe him. So it was pretty bad, and he was almost bedridden. And when the mainstream medical doctor diagnosed him, they said it was an advanced stage of rheumatoid arthritis, and basically there is no treatment as such. And he would be kind of stuck with medicines and strong steroids and things like that, and maybe handicapped for his whole life. I was the only child, and I was a daddy's girl, and it was very devastating for us. Um, because it happened so fast. And my dad was a very big built man and pretty healthy in his life, even though he didn't have a healthy diet. And that showed up as rheumatoid arthritis. So I think looking back now, I really thank his lucky stars because one of his cousins uh, told us there was a person in late 80s who practiced Ayurveda and homeopathy in the city we lived. And he said, maybe you should go and you know, try it out. He might have something miraculous um, suggestion for you. So my dad, as I said, being a logical uh, mindset, an engineer, he never believed in all this. 
but also he knew that there was no other alternative. So he said, hey, you know, I will give it a try. There's no harm in going and meeting this person. So I vividly remember driving him to that place. Um, it was an old man, I think in mid 80s. The whole front yard was filled with people and it was mainly village folks, as I said, uh, who couldn't afford mainstream medical were lined up. I remember meeting this person and before my dad could speak to him, I interviewed the person for like 15 minutes and saying, this is what is happening to my dad. And I'm, I'm really like, you know, what, what can we do? I mean, I couldn't see him bedridden. And he patiently listened to me. And then he called my father who was sitting behind me. And he just asked one question, Brett. And that was, would you believe in what I would give you? And my dad gave a, such a resonating yes answer, looking into his eyes. I still remember I was sitting behind him and I could feel like something changed in my father and every cell of his body was saying that, hey, you know, he's going to really believe in this person, whatever he's going to give for his treatment. <clears throat> so long story short, uh, I think it took a roller coaster ride for about eight months to one year. There was a lot of aggravation happening in my dad's um, rheumatoid arthritis. He also had a heart condition and he was a high blood pressure patient all his life. But just changing his diet, and he was given just one dose of medicine every month, but changing his diet to, to his body constitution, what is called as dosha in Ayurveda, in a matter of one year, he was completely healed from rheumatoid arthritis. And his heart condition became normal when the doctors did his ECG and the graft was normal. His blood pressure, until he passed away, came down to 120-80. There was no medication in his life after that. It was just diet. And that really um, made a huge impact on me. And I think I was, in, I was a teenage, teenager, maybe 18, 18 and a half years at that time. And it really hit so deeply in my heart that right food to your constitution can act as medicine. It's just not right foods, but right foods to your body type. That is dosha. And that was one of my big takeaways from our consult is you kept saying, food is medicine, food is food, medicine. Yes, and, yes. And, and I, didn't, I, you know, I didn't really get it until we did the, the private consult, I, I don't think. And I know you had a successful career in IT here in the US, and then you came back to Ayurveda because it's your passion. And that's the other reason I love working with you is because it's clear to me how genuinely you love this work and how much you like to, to help people. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it has been a calling for me. And uh, yeah, IT was very good, very successful, paid me very well. But this is very fulfilling. And I know now I'm living a life that when I've read many books saying, you know, you have to follow your passion. But when you really start doing it, it's completely a different story. And you call Ayurveda the lost soulmate of yoga. Tell everyone a little bit more about that because another way that Akshata really schooled me in our consult, because I, I like to consider myself a yoga expert, but she said, no, yoga starts in the kitchen and then it goes to the yoga mat. So tell us about that. <laughs> you remember everything, Brett. I'm a very good student and note taker. Yes. Yes, you are. 
Yes. Uh, in fact, my passion, if you were to put it in one line, is to bring the lost soulmate of yoga. That's what I call Ayurveda. Is because thanks to Deepak Chopra and recently Dr. Oz is spreading a little bit of Ayurveda too, but Vasant Lad and all uh, talked about yoga. Um, Maharishi Yogi brought yoga to the West. But for some reason, I think the Western culture is more about doing and not about being. So I think yoga was pretty much embraced because they said, hey, you know, when they did yoga, they felt alive. It made them feel rejuvenated. Um, so much tangible results, like, you know, if you had any joint pains, they would disappear. You will get more energy, more focus. So I think uh, it was taken more of an exercise yoga and not about the real purpose of yoga is to it really has a lofty goal is opening the door of liberation to you and if you really want to achieve that lofty goal then you have to hold hands with the sister science of yoga which it's called now as ayurveda and I think uh, this is my uh, personal opinion. Uh, people might have different opinions. I think it was Dr. Oz who really made it mainstream, Ayurveda. I still remember, I don't watch TV, but a few years back, I was still in IT. Um, my colleagues used to say, hey, Dr. Oz talked about Trifala, talked about Ashwagandha, the Ayurvedic herbs. And they used to get sold out from Sprouts and Whole Food Groceries. So I think uh, I give credit to Dr. Oz to making it more mainstream and more to the local masses that Ayurveda is really the one of the oldest form of medical sciences. And it, the biggest pillar of Ayurveda is preventative, not just reactive to any diseases. So, um, and I do a lot of consultations, Brett, as you know, uh, and most of my yoga, uh, most of my clients are yoga teachers. And they come to me, it's like they have been practicing yoga for 20 plus years. And in spite of doing yoga religiously, they still experience health issues like digestive issues, hormone imbalance, endocrine imbalance with thyroid, low energy. And I always tell them because yoga is not complete without Ayurveda. And if you really want to fully reap the benefits of yoga, then you need to bring Ayurveda into the yoga practice and you're right it starts with the kitchen <laughs> and and i agree with everything you're saying and i've heard more and more it being talked about how you know yoga in in the vedas maybe you can talk about this a little bit more but yoga was really about as you say spiritual enlightenment and that's why someone would pursue the physical practice of yoga while ayurveda was really about the science of life just how to be happy and healthy in your everyday life and so when you look at it that way, it's like we really need Ayurveda before we even begin to think about doing yoga. Is that right? Yes, at least in my opinion, I strongly believe that, Brett, because uh, I feel Ayurveda is a science of daily living or science of healing yourself. And yoga, in my opinion, is a science of self-realization. And you can realize your highest potential or get in connection with the creator itself you need to have a pretty healthy body. And when I mean healthy body, you are pretty familiar, Brett. I am also t referring to five koshas. It's not just our physical body. That's the anamai kosha. 
but the other four subtle bodies that we have, the pranamay kosha, manomay kosha, vijnanamay kosha, and anandamay kosha. So until our body is really healthy and wholesome, you can't really um, raise your consciousness to higher realms. So I think it begins with Ayurveda uh, to get us started. How do the chakras fit into this? Can you speak to that a little bit? Maybe about how, I know before we hit record, you were talking about how two chakras specifically you think uh, tie into this particularly well. Yeah, Um, like the teacher, I learned Hatha Yoga, the classical Hatha Yoga from North Lineage in Rishikesh, India, always says this, the purpose of yoga, why do we do yoga? And he says it so beautifully. The purpose of doing yoga is to create space in our body. And that space is filled with prana. And I'm pretty sure your audience knows about prana. It is life energy. Um, The definition I like the most is given by my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. He says prana is soul of each cell. So my yoga teacher, Yogarishi Vishwaketu, says to sustain prana when we do perform yogas every day is you need to have a healthy and clean body, one. Second, pure and blissful heart. And third is disciplined and intuitive mind. And he is a man of very few words, but this has so much deep implication in those three sentences. Like you practice yoga, to bring prana into your life, but to sustain prana, you need a healthy and clean body, pure and blissful heart, disciplined and intuitive mind. So when he says healthy and clean body, he basically is referring to the base three chakras of our body. Those are the root chakra, muladhara chakra, then the sacral, swadhisthana chakra, and the solar plexus, the manipura chakra. We need to keep them balanced for the energy to start rising for our higher um, self-realization. And according to Ayurveda or according to yogic philosophy, these three basal chakras, the root chakra, the sacral chakra, and the solar plexus are first balanced with the right food. And then yoga starts working on them. The second statement he says is the pure and blissful heart, and that we know heart is Anahata chakra, that is the central chakra in our seven chakras. It acts as the junction between the gross body and the subtle body. So pure and blissful heart, when you come to there, both yoga and Ayurveda start to make an impact in your life. So it's like a midpoint. You need both Ayurveda and yoga to really become pure and blissful. But the other one, the discipline and intuitive mind, he relates to the um, Vishuddhi, the throat chakra, and the Ajna chakra, the wisdom point, the point between your eyebrows. For that, yoga really starts to work. So that's what my message is. Like if you really want to fully reap the benefits of yoga in your daily practice, you need to have a clean body, a blissful heart, and a disciplined mind. So for that, you start with Ayurveda. It's funny because when you first were talking about this, 
I almost wanted to oversimplify and say, it's almost like the lower three chakras in order to work with them, it's really all about Ayurveda and the upper three chakras, it's really all about yoga. And, but it actually, actually is that simple based on what you just said, right? Yes. Yes. And it's I think that's simple. It's that simple. And, and it's a message I think a lot of us yogis don't necessarily want to hear because not because we don't love Ayurveda. I've always loved Ayurveda, but to balance those lower three chakras, it being all about food and self-care and slowing down. And if you're a yogi, like you were naturally attracted to yoga, you're probably someone who likes to move, right? Likes to exercise, (laughs) likes to get on the mat. So you're much more attracted to the yoga, which again is doing wonderful things in the upper three chakras and in that fulcrum heart chakra probably as well. But what can happen is you just skip over those first three chakras and you're trying to balance them with yoga and some things are helping. I mean, I know yin yoga has been great for me for getting grounded. Certain meditation practices, definitely a lot of uh, pranayama, but you never really feel as grounded as you want to or as you know you could which is what I was experiencing, which is why I finally broke down and was like, I need a personal consult Um, because it really comes back to being about food, plain and simple. Do you agree? Am I on the right track here? You're perfectly on track, Brett. It is food because we were just briefly uh, mentioning the koshas. The physical structure is called as annamai kosha. When we, annamai is, anna is food. So this physical structure that we see with our two eyes is made up of food. And what we eat makes the major chunk of what we are today. And it's also the food we digest through the environment we live in, with the relationships we have. But it's food, Annamai Kosha. There's a reason why yogic philosophy kept this physical structure name is that this structure is built by the food you eat. And in in yogic philosophy, there's a term like if a person is having bad moods, they don't ask what the situation was. They ask, what food did you eat? Because it has so much power over your mind, your body, pretty much. um, You need right food to fuel yourself properly. And that's, again, coming back to my yoga teacher is like you... You, you might accumulate good prana doing the right form of yoga too, but to sustain it after doing a yoga practice, you really eat a bad breakfast that's not good for your body type or you skip meals. I have so many clients who fashionably skip meals. I don't know why it's been a trend now. People just don't want to eat. The grocery stores are filled with so much organic produce and, you know, there's so much to eat in in us coming from india i know the value of such a rich and developed country and we just take it for granted but if you don't fuel your body properly after yoga all the prana that you've accumulated just dissipates and you're again back to square one so we have to also not only um, aim at bringing prana more to our body, but also equally important is how you sustain it. Right. And I think that's how you get some of these. I mean, I'm definitely a yoga addict in a good way, but I think how you get some of these yoga addicts in maybe not such a good way where they need to go to that hot 90 minute Bikram class every single morning to get that sense of prana because clearly it's not being sustained, right? Right. Yeah. So I want to tell everyone listening a little bit about my experience 
having an Ayurvedic consult because I think anytime you choose to do something like that, it's, it's a little intimidating, you know, it, it's costly. You don't really know what to expect. You don't know who to trust. Um, and I teach a module, uh, co-teach with Sahara Rose, who, who um, Akshada also knows, um, a module about Ayurveda in my yoga teacher training. So I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about Ayurveda. I've read so many books, but even with all this knowledge, I wasn't putting the practices of Ayurveda into my diet. And more than that, I think what happens with Ayurveda, and I try to chime in here, but people, like they figure out their dosha, and then there's a lot of like general stuff that you can read online about what you should eat for which dosha. But it's kind of oversimplified. And uh, there's a couple of reasons I wanted to do the consult. One was I wanted to really figure out what I personally needed, you know, so exactly for my constitution, exactly what I should be eating, like not what I researched online, but really having an expert like Akshata tell me. And the second part was accountability, right? Because <laughs> I wanted someone to sort of help me, help me stay on track. And it was so interesting because during the, the consult, for example, at one point uh, towards the end, and I'll talk more about the beginning, but Akshata said like, I should eat ginger. She was saying ginger would be very good for you. So I was thinking to myself, I was like, great, I'm just going to brew a bunch of ginger tea. I already know how to make that. I really like ginger tea. It's going to be fantastic. And she, it's like, she's very intuitive. So she's always like, wait, do you think you're going to have ginger tea? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. And she said, no, 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 no. You need to incorporate ginger into your food. And then she went on to explain to me how ginger in the liquid state of tea and ginger as an herb that's in my food or a spice that's in my food, sorry, is, is, has two completely different Ayurvedic qualities, like completely different, does completely different things in the body. And there are other examples of this. And it kind of made me realize how oversimplified a lot of like the knowledge that gets just thrown around for, for, the, for the doshas is. And then how many of us are just have one primary dosha? Most people have two, right, Akshata? Yes. And some have all three. So then, you know, often the foods that are good or suggested for vata may not be appropriate for pitta, but what if you're vata pitta <laughs> like me? What do you do? So what really came across to me in this, in this consult was that it's so much more complicated. Like you can't Wikipedia your way through this, or, or if you try, you might be doing something like eating ginger or having ginger tea when actually ginger is good for you, but not even in that form. Uh, it's much more complicated than you think. Um, Akshara, do you want to chime in here? But that was like a big wake-up call for me during our consult, just that like it's, it's not as simple as just this food for this dosha, especially when, again, we're, we're made up of all three. Right, yeah. And you said it so beautifully, Brett. Thank you. Um, yeah, Ayurveda is a science where every food is seen scientifically. What it says is every food has its energetics, like um, not going into too much detail about, it's really science of eating. When you taste some food on the tongue, it's called rasa. And there are six tastes in Ayurveda. 
It's sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent. And that's the taste. What is the predominant taste that you taste on your tongue? The digestive system knows what digestive enzymes to secrete. So in Ayurveda, especially classical Ayurveda, they say even the herbs has to be taken on the tongue. It, not, they don't believe much into popping garlic pills or ginger pills or whatever. You have to taste the food because taste is the first step of digestion. And that no, body, know, the digestion knows what enzymes to secrete. And then uh, there's virya. Virya meaning it's the um, personality of the food. Is it heating or is it cooling uh, when you eat it? Then there is vipaka, that is post-digestion effect. Like once you eat a food, how does it taste? What is its personality? Then once you digest the food after three hours, four hours, what is the effect in your stomach? And that effect is very crucial to know. Is it sweet effect? Is it pungent effect? Is it going to be cooling? Is it going to be heating? Because that is going to give a long-term impact on your health because that I mean, that vipaka gets assimilated in all the tissues. That's where the assimilation of nutrients and minerals happen. So without going much in detail, you're right. Uh, you cannot just say that, oh, your vata, you should eat sweet, sour, salty, that balances you. But uh, guess what? If you're vata pitta, then I'll take that example since that's your body type, right? Cucumbers are good for you in summer because cool as a cucumber, you know? Cucumber is energetically cooling. But here is the trick. Uh, when you practice classical Ayurveda, looking at your constitution, I would know, like after maybe two cucumbers, the third cucumber will start aggravating your pitta, even though it is cooling for you. So the same food that is meant to balance you, if you have it in excess, it might aggravate you. And if you have too less of it also can have an adverse effect. So there's a very scientific way of eating food that was like discovered many, many thousands of years ago in India. And it just is science because it's been tested in the life uh, in in thousands and I mean not thousands and billions of people in India it's not been tested in laboratories for one year or two years it's been tested for centuries and it has lived through because there's a real life example generations after generations have practiced it and lived healthy so you're right it's it's not that simple as it's said I mean you can start with it but to really make an impact and feel uh, the real benefit of Ayurveda, you need to know those subtle nuances, how to tweak the diet for each body type. And I'll go back now to talking a little bit about the consult and how it worked for people who are curious. So Akshada and I met up on Skype and she could see me and I'd really recommend if you do a consult with Akshata or someone else, uh, to just not get dressed up, like don't wear any makeup, just go like looking like your normal self because I hadn't planned to do that, but it was actually really great because uh, Akshata really looked at me and she said, oh, you're not wearing any makeup because she and I have seen each other before. And she says, oh, this is so great. I can really see you know, what's going on with your skin and your eyes. And she was just able to have a clearer picture of me physically. 
Um, so that's a big tip I'd give to anyone, whether you're doing like an in-person or online with Lakshad or whoever uh, consult is just don't wear any makeup, really just let the practitioner be able to see your skin because that helped give her information. And then basically she asked me a lot of questions so many questions. I mean, I feel like we talked for so long in my consult, but I mean, questions about my childhood, questions about what foods I craved in different situations. Obviously, I had taken a quiz prior to, to the consult, so we knew my general, uh, and I took two quizzes because I wanted to be sure, and they both had the same same result as Vata Pitta. Um, so it was a lot of questions. She took a ton of notes and what Akshata was doing, although maybe she can describe it better, but I felt like she was sort of trying to build a case. Like she was like a detective trying to figure out the story that, you know, my body, my skin, my eyes, my tongue, my cravings were telling in terms of my doshas, I guess. Is that kind mm-hmm. of what you were doing? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you nailed it well, yes. Yeah. So I felt like she was the detective and I was answering all these questions and you know then when she gave me a couple suggestions on on the call you know a couple general things that I tried to write down but she said don't worry I'm going to send you a full write-up in a couple days so after the consult you know she gave me a few little directions that I started doing right away for example drinking lime water with Himalayan sea salt and honey every morning and that and I've really been enjoying that by the way uh and and then a couple of days later, I got an email and it was a really beautiful PDF and it just had written down really specifically like what she suggested that I should, should eat. It even had a bunch of links to her uh, recipes on her website. There's fantastic recipes on her website, jivalifestyle.com. We'll give you guys a lot more info about how you can find her online. Uh, so I got kind of a follow-up pack and that was really fun because I got to read that. But really, I took notes during the consult and a couple key things really stayed with me, which was that I need to slow down, <laughs> need to spend more time in the kitchen. And another thing Akshata told me multiple times, and I actually am listening to you, is that I can't skip meals. I cannot skip meals because I get very distracted and interested in what I'm doing and time just flies by and not intentionally, but I do skip meals. And it was really, really interesting because Akshata, now I can report back. So I hosted the very first Uplifted Mastermind this weekend outside Los Angeles, which was a big event I put together for other yoga teachers who are really looking to live in alignment, increase their knowledge. We did a huge segment on myofascial release, uh, increase their wealth, right? We did a big segment on how to earn more money as a yoga teacher, especially by enhancing private sessions with clients through hands-on adjustments and how to bring your business online, if that's interesting. So it was this really great weekend, but it was this first weekend for me away from the baby Uh, because I have a five and a half month old right now. Mm -hmm. And the schedule was very tight, right? Usually if I was hosting an event like this, I'd come in like two days early to really get my energy synced with the space. And, you know, because of the baby and breastfeeding and everything, I flew in the morning of, right? So already like a very tight timeline. And then, you know, it was just jam packed from that moment on. So it was really like the perfect opportunity for me to, get really involved in talking to all the amazing people there, just go into, you know, crazy passion, working, sharing what I love mode and completely neglect self-care. Plus, you know, airports, tight connections, like perfect opportunity to skip meals. I mean, it really, it was, could have been a disaster. 
But instead, I remembered all the things you told me, Akshata, which is that I can't, yes, I cannot skip meals. And (laughs) told me that um, carbs are actually really quite good for me as long as they're complex carbs, correct? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, at Whole Foods, this is like a travel hack. Maybe Akshata, you want to share this with other people. But I, I bought a lot of those like instant oats. You know, I'm sure instant isn't great, but it was like, I was literally on the move, like living in a hotel mm-hmm. room, a lot of times, not a lot of time to eat between sessions. So I got some oatmeal that I could just make in my room and I would force myself to eat it because a lot of the times I'd be so energized, you know, during the breaks and, you know, just wanted to jot some ideas down or prep for the next session. And I was letting myself do that. But I said, Brett, you have to finish this whole thing of oatmeal. I kept thinking, I was like, Akshata said, I can't skip meals and I need to eat even if I don't feel hungry. And this was another big epiphany I had from our session because I think a lot of just general health knowledge gets thrown around. For example, like carbs are bad, right? Carbs Mm -hmm. are bad. That's just, I feel like, you know, just in general, you hear that. It's like, oh, carbs aren't good. You want to eat uh, lots of protein and vegetables and for example, and lots of green vegetables. And of course the two green vegetables that I love eating the most are the two green vegetables that Akshata said, Nope, don't eat those two because they aggravate your pizza. Eat these other ones. So again, I have, I have a lot to learn and, uh, integrate, but there's again, like a lot of just the general health stuff. And I think I, I realize that I have this I don't know, subconscious pattern where it's like, oh, well, if I'm not hungry, I shouldn't eat because if I eat, I'll gain weight. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that I had that as a deeply held belief because I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in my body. But I think everyone is a woman. You have this fear like, oh, I don't want to gain weight. And I didn't even realize I had that until I realized like, oh, the reason I, you know, don't force myself to finish food Uh, and again, I think forcing yourself to finish food probably isn't great for the majority of people, but I think for me, because I need so much grounding, it's really important. And my energy this weekend leading this mastermind was amazing. And it was really cool because it it, uh, reminded me of something you said earlier in this podcast, Akshata, sustained prana, Mm -hmm. right? Sustained. And my energy was just so steady through the whole weekend. And wow. it, was, it was awesome. It was so awesome. It was because I was forcing myself to eat even when I didn't really feel hungry and healthy stuff, you know, like a banana, mm-hmm. more oatmeal, because I just kept saying I need to stay grounded. And it is really interesting because, you know, now there's this whole trend of fasting too, right? Akshata, have you heard about this? <laughs> like fasting's the new, you know, right. and, and for someone like me, you know, the Vata Pitta type is like, oh, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting because what I actually needed is the exact opposite. I actually need to eat more. I need to eat more carbs and grounding foods. It was, it was really, it was awesome. What, what are your reflections hearing me talk about this? I'm just so amazed, uh, Brett, you're incorporating all this right away. I'm really, really very proud of you. Um, You mentioned instant oats, and I just want to briefly touch that. That's perfect for you, actually. I would never recommend steel-cut oats for your body constitution because steel-cut oats is very high fiber, and it's, yeah, it's more nutrition. I get that. But you also, in Ayurveda, they always say, look at the food, look at your body type, and look how you digest. So end of the day, the mantra is, it's not how you look, 
what you um, it's not what you think it's not even what you eat um, even though partially it is very important it's ultimately what you digest so if I give a per person who is vata dominant um, steel cut oats according to Ayurvedic principles they won't be able to completely digest the nutrients from that food even though it has a lot of nutrients and minerals is because it has so much fiber and vata dominant people generally have low digestive agni meaning digestive fire they need meals where they can easily digest and if you give steel cut oats nine out of ten people will end up bloating or indigestion or you know you just feel awful eating it Instant oats are the best for you. Yes, you need fiber, but every body constitution has a specific requirement of fiber. It's not like one size fits all here. That's Just so crazy because I feel like in every, like all these vegan cookbooks and, you know, healthy, healthy websites, that's like steel cut oats are lauded as like the best possible oats. Yes. And if it's kapha dominant, I would force them to eat steel cut oats. Because that's what they need. Steel cuts oats would bring all the moisture out of the body. And they've got so much mucus buildup because they are made up with earth and water. The, the water element is very high in kapha dominant people. And steel cut oats will be like a suction, you know, like a vacuum cleaner. They would pull all the mucus out, the uh, unwanted mucus, not all. But vata people need more mucus in their body. They need more moisture. If you give steel cut oats, you'll be more dehydrated. But this is exactly what I was talking about to everyone listening, where it's like even something where it's like eat complex carbs, for example, oats. It's like there's so much detail within even the word oats. This is why I think if you can afford to and you have the time to do a consult with Akshata or someone else who you know really comes highly recommended that you can trust, I really think it's worthwhile because you need that this this kind of specificity and then also to be able to ask and get follow up because I mean Akshata and I are obviously friendly so I I feel comfortable but I think I mean Akshata tell people I think you really don't like just doing one off consults with folks because you like to see things through, or you're even saying the way Ayurveda is designed, it's, it's like not a quick fix thing. It's like people, it's an ongoing, you need to kind of mentor someone through it. Yes. For me, I believe it should be a lifestyle. So Ayurveda is not like a new fad, like, you know, going vegan, going Rotarian, going paleo. Every day we have something new coming up. But this Ayurveda has stuck for centuries. And the reason I have embraced it at such a young age of 18, 19 is because of its universality. I don't suppress myself with anything. I eat everything. I'm a foodie. I'm a pitta kapha body type. And having a pitta dominant, I am blessed with a good digestive fire so I can pretty much eat anything and digest it. So um, for anything to make an impact, especially Ayurveda, as I said, even for my dad and even for my own personal, let me just share my own personal story here, coming out of hypothyroidism, I lost my parents and I went through a long grief period. So that really, um, I paid the price of uh, grieving for so long is through having been diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And at the same time, again, Ayurveda came in to rescue and my doctor said, you know, you have to be on these 
medication. And I told them, give me two years because I really believe in Ayurveda and yoga lifestyle. And if I don't, um, if you don't see any good result after two years, then I will follow whatever medication you want me to take. So two years, I rigorously, um, I was still in IT, information technology, uh, working uh, as a software um, project manager. I didn't have much time, but I really allocated myself, designed recipes <laughs> to my body constitution and literally 100% lived an Ayurveda lifestyle for two years and completely healed my hypothyroidism without any medication or hormones. So for, for Ayurveda to really make an impact, Brett, I think it's not a quick fix. I really want to tell your audience it's not a quick fix, but it's going to be there for life. Any imbalances are uprooted. It is not through symptoms. It really goes to the root cause to nail it and help you balance. So for that, you need someone to hold your hand, spoon feed you, uh, practical Ayurvedic rituals, uh, tips and tricks, how you need to stay on uh, your rituals to make it a lifestyle. So I strongly encourage that it should be, I offer consultation packages. So I do put my clients, um, I'm, they are accountable when I give them consultations. I do a lot of follow-ups and I make sure they follow what I say. And I think that brings more tangible results than just doing one-off consultations. Then you get a full PDF format of what you need to incorporate. But nine out of 10 clients never do it because they have many reasons. Life is busy, you know, things come up and priorities change. And that sheet just stays there for years. You haven't even opened it. Yeah. And, and if you're listening and you think you might want to do a consult, Akshata and I have um, put together, she's put together a special page for anyone who is a yoga practitioner with me, whether you're just a yoga student or a yoga teacher, where you can do just one consult. But what I would really encourage you to do is she actually has a four consult special, which is you get a, you know, a big discount for uh, committing to doing four, and then you get that accountability going through, and it's really affordable. Um, there's going to be a link right below this podcast where you can check that out. And she also has a, a package that's really specifically just designed for people who have hormone in, imbalance and digestive issues. Akshata, can you tell people a little bit more about why they might want to work with you in that capacity as opposed to just doing a general consult? Because I know you include a lot of extra things when it comes to uh, hormone balancing because I know it's such a passion of yours and something you've experienced personally. Right. Um, yeah, I do do four different types of consults. One is hormone imbalance. I mean, that's been an epidemic, especially with women all over, not just here in the US. I do consultations pretty much all over the world. I see even in India, my cousins, my friends, everyone in early 20s have so much hormone imbalance. Menstrual cycle is really very irregular. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's mainly because of our lifestyle and our food, food eating habits. Uh, this is self-created. I honestly feel this is self-created. We can blame the environment. Yes, it's not been as clean and as pure, but that's not in our hands. I mean, we can do as much as we can, eating healthy, eating organic, not using plastic. 
we can do our part, but we can't just blame the environment and keep messing up our bodies. We have to take charge of it by eating right, eating right to our body constitution. And hormone imbalances are something that cannot be fixed with one consult, to be honest. This is a, a change in your lifestyle mentally and physically. So I walk the clients through what diet they should eat. And then every week we tweak the diet, though, uh, depending on how the body is taking it. Um, it's a very trial and error method because every body is different. Every mind is different. And that's the beauty of Ayurveda. It doesn't give one uh, single formula. This will fix everyone. It's very customized. And that's why it works, I think. Um, so hormone balance, at least four weeks, four consults with me will put you on a track to start balancing them. And most of the cases, clients have reduced their medications, especially with estrogen. There are certain foods that naturally increase estrogen in our bodies, and people, most of them don't know. And there are certain foods that can decrease estrogen naturally, and you can do that. And Ayurvedic herbs, they really work wonders especially for people who are having PMS issues or are on perimenopausal. And they're just so natural and safe. They are made up of powdered herbs or they are just powdered fruits. Um, there are no side effects. But having said that, if you take too much of it, there can be a side effect. So there's no one saying this in Ayurveda and yoga that everyone says, hey, it's all natural. There's no side effects. There are side effects if you go out of the uh, principles of Ayurveda. If you misuse it, then you'll pay the price. There is a strict uh, way of taking herbs, uh, the dosage and everything, because if you start tweaking it, the doshas get imbalanced. And even if for me, for example, I'm pitta kapha and vata is really passive in my body, but I had aggravated vata at one point of time when I was, when I had lost my parents and it almost became like a subdominant dosha for me because of the wrong choices I do. Because when you're going through life and you've got some big challenge, you don't do things right. It's very natural. So um, hormone balance is something I need to understand the root cause, why it has come into your life, why the hormones are imbalanced. That's the first reason to know. And then we chart out a plan how we can bring it to balance. So that needs time from your side, my side, and a lot of effort to sincerely follow that. And that can be done naturally. And people really get gravitated to it because there are no side effects in, instead of taking hormones or you know medication that can really create some major damages. So Akshata and I have put together, again, as I said, some offerings for, for you if you do want to go deeper with her specifically. Go to brettlarkin.com forward slash Ayurveda and that will redirect you to the page because Akshata's put a special page together with special pricing just for Brett Larkin Yoga uplifted folks. Um, and I'll make sure that URL brettlarkin.com forward slash Ayurveda redirects exactly to the right place. Check those out if you're interested. And know that also as an uplifted member, uh, no matter what consult you do or package or anything, um, you'll get also a free video of your choice because Akshata also has some really great digital content. Uh, one is high prana nutrition for menstruation. 
And the other is Ayurvedic wisdom, gluten or gluten-free. So if you've been wondering whether you should be gluten or gluten-free, or maybe you're a little more interested in the hormone imbalancing, make sure to mention to Akshata, if you mention you are an uplifted member, you will get one of those videos uh, totally for free as part of any consult or package you do. So I want to thank you, Akshata. <laughs> and I, will, I have more questions for you, but I'll ask them off the air. Um, and, you know, I will keep all of you guys listening posted on my own Ayurvedic journey. This is definitely, I think, going to be a process of healing for me. And I've only integrated a very small amount of what Akshata has told me so far, because it's only been, uh, you know, two, two weeks or so. And of course, I've been traveling a lot, so I haven't got to make any of the really cool recipes she sent me or things like that yet. But even just like those few things that I really took away from the consult, like the don't skip meals and, you know, eat like these grounded foods, you know, you need to get uh, more grounded in, in your diet. The thing about the oats, I mean, I already feel like I am seeing more sustained energy, which for me right now is everything with, you know, doing everything I'm doing and the baby, it's, I think it's just coming at the perfect time. So, uh, so Akshata, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Brett, for having me. I'm really grateful. Oh, and uh, everyone, look for the links if you're interested below this episode. And you can always message uh, myself or Akshata if you have questions as well. So we're sending you so much love. Have a beautiful, happy, healthy day. Don't forget to do yoga. So much love from my heart to yours. Namaste. This episode was brought to you by Uplifted. Try Brett's membership community for people who want to enrich their life through yoga at brettlarkin.com uplifted. Yoga obsessed? Join Brett for yoga teacher training at brettlarkin.com train. And don't forget to give back. Like this podcast, leave a rating or review. Share this with someone you love. Remember, now is the time to dedicate yourself to what matters most. From my heart to yours, namaste.